Hi everyone, Hugh here. So we made it, more than 150 episodes in. It's time for Set Piece Menu episode 100. Last week, the four of us, yes, four, Chinch heroically made it despite a long campaign of sympathy craving following that bout of man flu. Perform the podcast you're about to hear in front of a live audience in Manchester. Now, those gathered at the Anthony Burgess Foundation feasted not only on food, but a number of features, some of which you won't be able to hear, mainly because they were decidedly non-family friendly. But the reason you're listening to my very dry voice right now is that we open the show by giving those in the room, and more importantly, Rory, a bit of a treat. Our intro was put to music, and as Rory desired, the music was the Baywatch theme. Most of you will know that we can't play that out on the broadcast pod for copyright reasons, so you'll just have to imagine the full effect, or maybe just buy a ticket next time. We introduced the SPM team to the room, talking about running in slow motion and wearing shorts that were too tight, and then after this grand entrance, we began. So this is where we will join Set Piece Menu, the podcast where four friends talk football over food, episode number 100. Uh, well, hello everybody. Wait for the music to finish. <laughs> Don't ruin my dream. This is all he, all he wanted from tonight. Don't ruin it for him. Are you, are you satisfied? Go. Uh, well, that Baywatch music, I would imagine, is the first of many things that will be apropos of very little for the course uh, of this evening. Uh, just for anybody uh, who needs to combine faces with names, this is Rory Smith of the New York Times. His boss is in the audience. Stephen Wyeth of BT Sport and Match of the Day. His boss is sitting in the audience. And Andy Hinchcliffe of Sky Sports and seven England caps. Uh, (laughs) His boss is not in the audience, uh, but Nicky Hinchcliffe has provided us with the food that you have enjoyed uh, this evening and uh, the food that every set-piece menu episode uh, needs. So I hope you have enjoyed uh, your brownies, ladies and gentlemen. Did everybody have some brownie? Yes? There was a mystery ingredient in the brownies. It wasn't anthrax. Can anyone guess what the mystery ingredient was? Any, any guesses at all? No. It was, That's a bonus. It was beetroot. Did anybody taste the beetroot? That's why it's so wonderful. So it was a waste of time then? No, no, it's healthy and tasty, Stephen. A bit like you. Uh, and apparently AIDS endurance, we found out from Steve's more famous brother, who is actually amongst us this evening. So, uh, Dave, who is taking the photos, thank you very much indeed um, for not upstaging your brother, at least for the time being. The ninth fastest Briton in New York last week. Is that right? Yeah. Ooh, well that, done, Dave. That was during a marathon, by the way, just in case you thought he was running away from cops. Um, <laughs> this is the first episode since Andy Hinchcliffe received his England legacy number. Uh, an incredibly important uh, time for him and everybody else who Googled it. Um, <laughs> the number is 1079, which, according to the part of numerology called Angel Numbers, it means charity and love. That says it all. That sums up your England career. It pretty much does. If you saw me play, charity and love <laughs> is what it was all about. <laughs> Apparently, it, it signifies that your destiny is to be a missionary to love people and to help them out in life. I do like the missionary position, that must be said. <laughs> Chinch, this is the bit we're recording. You're meant to keep oh, the so dirty I, for later. So this is not the dirty... Oh, no, sorry, right, I'll keep it down. Sorry, apologies. So bland and indistinguished, a bit like your career. 
Stephen, what is it? You started it. I didn't start my career. <laughs> no, you did. You well. did start it, as you said before we came on. That Steve looks like the Count from. He looks Sesame. like a, no, a, no, a young Count <laughs> from Sesame Street. <laughs> Steve, just say one. Ah, 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 and see what people think. One. Ah, ah, ah. Perfect. Works, yeah. Uh, by the way, in U.S. police communications, the number ten seventy nine means call the coroner. So that's the end of your career sorted out as well, Chinch. Um, now it was pretty much. Exactly a year ago that we reached the week that we should have delivered episode number 100. So here we are, eventually, with something that always had a name but only recently actually added an idea to that name. Some things will be the same as a normal episode. Uh, other things will not be. About the latter, I am a little nervous. Uh, one thing that is a constant, regardless of location or the presence of a live audience, is the food. We have had that. I hope you enjoyed it. Even now that you know beetroot was included. There are other things, too. They find themselves onto stage. Uh, we have a copy of Miss still available um, for not very much money as it turns out probably too available uh, we've got our mugs uh, which all have our names on uh, which is rather delightful and a little cute we're supposed to have super dry chinch wait for this you'll love this <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen super dry has arrived which is an absolute delight uh, now, uh, some of those things might have actually given you a head start on what is our first feature of our live show, SPM Bingo. Do you all have your bingo cards? Uh, we're, well, pieces of paper that we guillotined. Um, so you will be able to play, as the evening progresses, a game of SPM Bingo. And you can tick off Mister, you can tick off Super Dry. Uh, you might have more there that we've already mentioned. We will attempt to at least uh, do some of them. If you can't even see your piece of paper, because we're lit beautifully uh, in this room, don't worry, there's no prize, and frankly, very little point of playing along. Um, but this... Uh, was uh, created um, by our first ever SPM Buffalo. So thank you to Mark Cole, who can't be here. And we have at least one other uh, Buffalo in the audience. Coming all the way from Philadelphia, uh, Jeff, where are you, Jeff? Jeff, take her take a onto your feet and stand up. Well done, Jeff. All the way from Philadelphia. <laughs> now, I don't want to undermine Jeff in any way, but has anybody come further than Philadelphia? No? Where? Rotherham. Rotherham. That, that's further in time. <laughs> Very far backwards. Um, so to, to Jeff and to all those who have made uh, an effort, including Roy's boss, uh, Andy, thank you very much indeed uh, for being here. Some of you have not come very far at all, but still thanks. Um, now, the first half of this evening's uh, show will be just like a normal pod. Uh, the second half uh, will be uh, filler frankly, um, or alternatively, bespoke content. See, for the British amongst you, you, you know Hollyoaks? You, you get like Hollyoaks after dark when they do the sexy stuff. That's part two. Part two has Andy Hinchcliffe uh, after dark, the soccer story that he dare not broadcast. Uh, it will also have a very special out-of-context reacher, uh, and also um, we will have uh, a Q&A. Uh, so that is all to come. Normally we have a little section that's devoted to correspondence in a normal show. We didn't think that that was necessarily the right thing to do. It may well be that it's a little incongruous, bearing in mind that hearing from the audience can be done a little more easily because you're right here. But there is one email that I would like to read out very briefly. It comes from Chris Wickham, and it is titled, In the QPR Tunnel. Sorry? <laughs> this isn't a sexy bit, is it? This is about football, isn't it? In the QPR Tunnel. Okay. Okay, Steve. Okay. Is there only for that look? <laughs> you're really on edge tonight, aren't you? So it's a live audience. Just relax. Enjoy it. <laughs> 
Good evening, Andy, Hugh, Rory and Steve. I was listening to one recent episode and was surprised to hear that the soccer story revolved around an incident at the QPR versus Brentford game and even more surprised that it was my conversation with Andy that was recounted. I was the person in the QPR tunnel. I was even more thrilled that it was the first time that I've been described as young for about a decade. A welcome Monday morning boost, says Chris. I have been a listener since your early days. I got my podcast habit around the time you started, and I think I first listened to about number five. Maybe not Buffalo status, but I think I fit a long-time listener, first-time emailer. Now, Chinch, do you remember how you described Chris? Um, Very attractive. Did I say nice things about him? Uh, Well, you said that he was wearing a coat with a QPR badge, and so you weren't sure if he was a member of staff or even a player. He wasn't QPR. a player. Clearly wasn't a player. <laughs> well, Chris continues... He didn't have football boots on. <laughs> Chris continues with this. I'm in charge of communications at Brentford. Really? Oh, my God. <laughs> Why was he wearing a Queen's Park Rangers? That is, that's really underhand, isn't it? That's clever. That really is clever. He's seen Andy quite a few times since he started listening when um, he has been commentating on Brentford's games. I've never wanted to conflate his two roles by talking about the podcast, uh, but with Rory's bereavement, it felt appropriate to let you all know that I, along with many listeners, I am sure, uh, was thinking of him. I should, for clarity, let you all know that the sales pitch for the live show from Andy was compelling. But alas, I cannot make it from the southeast to the northwest for the show. I am sure it will be a masterpiece. If only to hear all libel-worthy detail left in, my money is on something involving Neville Southall. Ooh. I'll make a point of telling Andy how brilliant he is the next time he has the pleasure of commentating on Brentford. <laughs> Best wishes, Chris Wickham, Communications Director at Brentford. Are the, are the Brentford badge and QPR badge quite similar? They are not. No, no they are, aren't they? No. They're playing similar colours, don't they? No, oh. not really. He, well, had, he, had a, he had a Queen's Park Rangers coat on. They, he did. They're both playing white, sort of. Yeah. Blue and white and red and white. So if you're colour yeah. blind, you're colour blind. What? Yes, I yeah, am colourblind. Yeah, and badge it. blind as well. Yeah. Apparently, it's that attention to detail that's got you shortlisted for the Football Supporters Association's Pundit of the Year. Chief. Seriously? Yeah, all that, all that preparation. No, I didn't know that. Is that true? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Who, who are the other people in the? Mind you, anybody else is going to win it. The big really hitters. Not win the big it. people hitters. who will win it are among Gary Neville. Who else is there? Uh, Jamie Carragher. Carragher yeah. All the ones Carragher. that get paid more than Chinch at yeah. Sky, basically. Shearer. You know the high-profile people who get better games than you. Them. The ones that don't get Bournemouth against Watford, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, Or QPR against Brentford confused. Let's crack on, shall we? Uh, With our subject tonight. It is time to show some discipline. Uh, And it is this. Football. It must have been love, but is it over now? Never missing the opportunity to conjure up thoughts of early 1990s Swedish soft rock, or indeed remind everyone how dodgy the sexual politics of Pretty Woman was. Uh, It's our way of asking if we enjoy the game as much as we should. Can we separate our love of the matches our team wins, the goals that make us jump from our seat, or the incredible in-swinging corners of Andy Hinchcliffe? From the poisonous tribalism, the over-reliance on financial wealth, or the terrible defending against York City in September 1996, of Andy Hinchcliffe. Is there any chance of a no-strings-attached relationship? All of the fun, none of the funk. Or must we accept that the game's current ills are preventing us from really enjoying it? And does that even matter anyway? Maybe it's us, not you. So before we even consider a breakup, or maybe just going on a break, let's ask this. Football, it must have been love, but is it over now? So I, I suggested this. Because I was watching the Liverpool-Arsenal game of, what, three weeks ago? The 5-all. 
And part of me was thinking, this is really good fun, I'm, I'm enjoying this, I'm having a nice time. And then part of me was thinking, this is very silly. <laughs> and it was like watching loads of kids play football, partly because it was quite a lot of kids <laughs> playing football. And, and it just struck me that when you get a game like that, there's part of you now that thinks, you should just be able to watch a five-all draw and think this is amazing. And I had my, two of my nephews were at the game, their first live game. And they came home totally buzzing, and kind of, they now think that all football... How old are they? Uh, should know that. Ten and younger than ten. <laughs> one so, of them is the older one. So is it the game that's the problem, or is it your age, all our ages, that's the problem? Well, maybe that's We're the, all old and cynical. Yeah. Steve is. So you, particularly the cynical. Yeah, he is very so cynical, yeah, but maybe. not the old bit. Okay, it's only for that again. Just leave it, will you? We'll talk about this later. <laughs> But the, I wonder, maybe you do see the mistakes more. Maybe you see the... Th but then, I don't know, but I wonder also if we're conditioned to see the, the things that have gone wrong. So if you think about the coverage after a game of any game, it is always what, who's done what wrong. That goal has been scored. Where was the marking? Why wasn't such and such... So you're blaming me for my excellent, top-notch in-game analysis? Partly, th this is your fault. Is it? Yeah. We know too much about football, though, don't we? We know too much about the game. It's, it's explained far too much to us now. When we were kids watching the game, we never understood any of it. It was just men kicking a ball around, and it was great. But now, this the knowledge, people's knowledge career. of the game, is that much greater. And knowledge isn't power, people. It isn't. You need that kind of uncertainty and, and just, just to let things happen in front of you. We don't need to know all the ins and outs of how many goals they've scored from set pieces and the amount of possession they have on a regular basis. Who cares? So Let's just enjoy the game. Is this what you said to Sky when you were renegotiating your contract? Not Word for word, no. <laughs> Do you remember that 7-4 uh, between Portsmouth and Reading? And it was only fourth or fifth on match of the day that day because it essentially was just two terrible teams scoring against terrible defences. And, and we, I think we've spoken about it before. The fact is that some nil-nils are brilliant yeah. for lots of different reasons than it just being nil-nil. And so there is, there is joys there not to be found in things that you don't expect. And so the inverse of that is clearly that you don't find joy in something that should give you that because there are lots of goals and lots of incidents. Possibly. That 7-4 was about two weeks after... Did Spurs beat Reading 7-5? I think someone beat Reading 7-5. If you're on, on the Google, <laughs> Google Spurs... I'm sure it was 7-5. I, I was at that game as, a, as a, a club reporter and a colleague gave up on, on kind of actually describing what had happened and just listed the goals in bullet points. And I remember thinking it would be much easier if we just got to do that. Was that his piece? That was the piece, was like an intro and then just the bullet points of who scored. I thought it was brilliant. All match reports should be like that. Why aren't the Athletic doing that? <laughs> I don't think they could charge you 60 quid a year for that. No, probably not. I, I do wonder, I think Chinch is right. I think that, that the knowledge has probably been a factor. And, but also the kind of how overwrought all the conversations are, that everything is so hepped up and kind of steroidal. But if you ask a 10-year-old kid, how, how much do they enjoy the football they go and watch? Will they give the same answer that we did when we were 10 years old watching football? Or because, do you think even at that age, they understand the game far more than we ever did? I think they probably enjoy the football as much, but they enjoy the going on social media and calling everyone involved in <laughs> even more. <laughs> at 10 years old? At 10 years old. Which, which is when that allegation really packs a punch. <laughs> So what, what, what should we love that we currently don't love? Well, the, the problem with that game, by using it as the, the case in point, is that... Liverpool Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. The, the EFL Cup. 
I mean, was that the, the sort of like the final twitches of life from a game in a competition which no longer seems to feel like it's fit for purpose? Should we, are we effectively saying that because it was a non-Premier League game, a non-top flight game, that we generated some enthusiasm about it because of the unknown? Uh, but or, or is it that you... Because the, the, they were two teams who didn't really care about winning or losing. Liverpool, I think, were quite cross to go through. But they were... Tr- yeah, they, I mean, they, they were trying to entertain and go out. Jürgen Klopp was there urging the goalkeeper, who, yeah. was, who I think they'd got off out the stands, to kind of let, let more penalties in. Have we got any younger players I can use? Milner taken off so he doesn't have to take a penalty. Who, who's, who's most likely to miss? That guy. And, but I wonder if that's what happens when you get when you kind of strip tension and importance out of football as you get that kind of chaos. I don't think if that happened every week that we'd enjoy, this, enjoy, enjoy it as much. It's fun because it happens occasionally. But So maybe it's the importance, the significance we attribute to everything that happens that makes it a much more tense experience. I don't know how many fans really enjoy football. <laughs> they enjoy their team winning in the sense of like momentary relief. And then they're really worried about what happens next week when people call them a <laughs> on Twitter. There, there seems to be an, such a, an, an intensity of the emotional experience now for fans that they don't have an ability to watch a game like Liverpool or Arsenal. And there was a 4-4 between Liverpool and Arsenal just a few years ago in the Premier League, which I imagine we enjoyed more because of the significance that Steve mentioned was, was lacking in the game in the, in the Carabao Cup. Um, but there is surely now for fans an inability to watch a 5-5 without thinking, oh, well, I, I want Liverpool to be out of the competition that my team's still in because I would rather they didn't face them. Or, um, oh, that's really annoying because Liverpool have got to play an extra game before they go to the Club World Cup. So that there are elements now that, that teams, fans of teams who are involved even in the most intangible way will form an emotional response to it that is negative and isn't necessarily about detaching yourself and looking at it and going, well, that was fun, wasn't it? Now I'll, now I'll go to bed and not think about the consequences. So, so I think that part of, part of it is that everyone's like really emotionally invested in everything. So it's not just the, teams that the games that your team plays or that your team's rivals play. It's every game you have an opinion on everything. We live in, to quote Arsene Wenger, now employed by FIFA, we, we live in a world where everyone has to have an opinion on, on everything all of the time. So you're kind of driven to, to care in a way that you maybe weren't 20 years ago. But the other thing is it's stuff like fantasy and gambling, that everyone is kind of invested in every game because they want, I don't play fantasy, just doing so would prove that I know nothing about football. And that strikes me as being professionally inadvisable. And <laughs> the, I'm really bad at fantasy football. The, but if you, I if don't think anybody's particularly good at it, to be honest with you. No, it's not someone who's, was it Mark Tanner? who played for Ipswich and Liverpool, who's like the best fantasy player in the world. Is that because he's got 422 teams and an algorithm? I don't know, but there was a piece on him somewhere not long ago about how he's now, he, he had this sort of mediocre playing career. And then Why are you looking at me? <laughs> seven caps. I hear, I, I say you can't be considered mediocre with seven caps under your belt. Did it's you, just not possible. Did you enjoy being a footballer? No. Yes. No. Yes. To a degree. Can't use Chinch as a as a case example at all. You can anything use me as a to case do with things, but not football. Anything to do with being a professional footballer, Chinch is the exception. He's the outlier. So we can't use him. Am I? Is that a good? Pra- he becomes useless to us at times like these, and at most times. The but I, I don't. I'm not sure. A lot of footballers actually are like having a nice time. So they like the cars and the money and the the kind of the glamour. But I think a lot of it is stressful and 
not actually that enjoyable. Is that is that the same sort of thing that you cannot detach yourself emotionally from the situation in which you play, so you aren't able to enjoy any other games that you're not playing in because it has an effect on you and your livelihood and your and your enjoyment of your own career, or genuinely I know now you enjoy football much more than you did when you were a player, but when you were Who's playing Who's told you that? Well, you intimated it every mm. so often by continuing I kind to be of in like football, and get football paid now. For it. It's all right, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but that you you did <laughs> not rugby though, is it? But it's it's okay. When you played, you were not necessarily the same. Didn't have a the similar attitude. Yes, you you played and went home and ate Chinese takeaway. But yeah. there is an element, is there not, of players being so emotionally involved in their own career that they can't sit on the sofa and watch a game that doesn't really affect them because they'll find a way of it affecting them. It would be great if I knew a lot of current players and I could tell you how they all feel. But players shun me. Probably because I shine a light on their inadequacies. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. That's what I'm there for. That's that, what I'm there is for. Is that in your job description? I think it is, yeah. Because you know how yeah. it comes up when you come on TV, it says Andy Hinchliffe, seven England caps, or Andy yeah. Hinchliffe, Sheffield Wednesday, 1996? Eight. 98 to 2002? Yes, yeah, correct. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, 2000, really. Yeah, stop playing. My knee fell off. <laughs> My knee fell off 18 <laughs> months before I retired, but, but anyway, yeah. You made sure they paid you for the last two years. Damn right I did, yeah. yeah. Even though they tried to get me sacked, <laughs> I mean, they still paid me. Even as you were graffiti and stuff outside the manager's window, you were... Keep on giving me that my was bonus. Andy Booth. <laughs> How many times have I told you? But can, can we get on to the point that I'm trying to Sorry. move the conversation along? Your point you? was... But how, how, do you, how did you kind of compute football and football games that you weren't involved in when you were playing? Did you have any sort of emotional reaction to them that was kind of too intense to enjoy? Or were you able to sit back and go, that's my game, those are my comrades, and there they are playing association football? Only when I left Man City did I look for how they were doing. I think City was the only really emotional connection I had in football. Even though I did when I played at Everton, Sheffield Wednesday, and the, the seven glorious caps I got for England, I really cared about the teams I was playing for. But when it's your hometown club... To me, again, you're going to have more of an emotional connection. So when you leave that club, you're bound to look back a bit differently than, than you get older and wise and you play more games, lots of, of high-quality games. Um, and then you look back. I think you just look back differently. Just age just plays tricks on your mind, I feel. So, uh, but Very I was... Wise, isn't he? Very wise. I am wise, aren't I? Eventually. I, I feel. Eventually. But anyway, yeah, so I, I, again, I don't think I saw the game or see the game as the modern footballer would see the game. I'm not sure. I'd, I'd probably enjoy even less if I was playing today. I really would. Is there so, is there so much football that we can't really? Almost take like there's saturation of statistics, a saturation of actual yeah. games. So you're no, you've you've got no time to enjoy a match involving Andy Hinchcliffe, for example, because then the more important 4:30 game will come on, <laughs> and that subsumes everything <laughs> that you've just that you've just watched on a Sunday afternoon. So <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. It's a good job you're at that end of the table, yeah. because you're, what you're, I've learned from Reacher. <laughs> you could have a serious problem. Look at the look I'm giving you. I know, I'm not particularly Imagine convinced. this forehead on that nose. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Imagine that nose on my forehead. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but there, 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 is, there is surely now an, an, an oversaturation of football that doesn't... On television, so people are getting more of it to a higher intensity to the extent that surely they cannot let the good stuff breathe, as my yeah, I think former boss at Key 103 used to say. You're always, what, two days away from a game? From something else that is, has been hyped up as the, the biggest thing since sliced bread or whatever. The, which, to be honest, is something that's been reversed as quite a lot of people buy kind of artisanal baguettes now. But the, the, <laughs> the, maybe that means you can't kind of actually kind of bask in the glory of a game or a win for your team because you know that 40, in 48 hours' time that could all be irrelevant because... 
if you lose the next game, then you'll be in crisis. But maybe, do you know, maybe this is partly a sort of bias towards the Premier League and, and the elite clubs. Maybe lower down, people are actually still having a nice time. I think the natural condition of a fan is to be miserable most of the time, to be worried about what's going to happen. And we're all fans, apart from Chinch, who doesn't really like football. But for Sale, or whoever you support in rugby, then presumably you're... Do you support Sale? Sale? They're, they're near here, aren't they? Yeah, the Sharks are decent, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Terrible. I think you don't know. A couple of World Cup winners in their team. Thank you, yes. Yeah. But this people who have played at a World Cup. Yeah. It's Rather than being dropped before it. <laughs> I wasn't dropped. I wasn't dropped. You faked I a had a groin strain. <laughs> this, the, this is the narrative, isn't it? It's the familiarity. There's too much riding yeah. on, on a lot of the games that we're supposed to be enjoying. And this is starting to feel like a conversation where actually what we're saying is, have we fallen out of love with top flight football? And would we get more enjoyment from the game if we were to embrace more of something along the similar lines to, to the Carabao Cup? Because it's bang for your buck. If, you, if it's costing you more and more money to go and the, the consequences of defeat are almost you know, impossible to bear, that perhaps you need to look elsewhere. If you, you, know, if you still love football, but you're not enjoying yourself at the moment, then see if there's a version of the game that you can you know, rekindle that affair with. Yeah, that's true. You could go and walk. But I went to Rochdale the other day, and it's lower league football is really cold. It's really cold, and also they, they often Were don't you have like under underprepared in terms of layers. Was I underprepared? No, not in. I'm I live in Manchester, so I'm permanently wearing four layers at all times. Okay. The I was wet because I live in Manchester, and that didn't help. But it's really cold, lowly football. It's not actually that enjoyable because. Why were you there? Just wanted to go to Rochdale. To be honest, I wanted to meet there exceptionally. We released the pod today, which I think I probably spoke for about five minutes about yeah, how we, handsome we Rochdale's manager is. Yeah, it ended up, <laughs> yeah, being, uh, ended up being about three and a half, and it was quite tricky to get it from five to three and a half. But I, you still got it out there. Yeah. I don't want to come across as obsessed, but seriously, he is. What, what would you do if Brian Barry Murphy was here right now? I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted. I mean, he, he deserves to know how handsome he is. Brian? Is there going to be a reveal? <laughs> the surprised guest. But you could, maybe that's why people kind of tend to, to get... People who really love football, I've always thought there's a difference between supporting a club and, and loving football. You t most people do both, but you can just do one and not do the other. So you can be a Manchester United fan who doesn't really have any interest in football beyond how it impacts on Manchester United, which is fine, and you're probably not having a great time at the moment. Shame about that. Uh, they feel really sorry for you. <laughs> and the, but you, most people would kind of enjoy the sport as, a kind of, as an activity in itself. So you, you might watch a big game from another country, even if it has no direct impact on your team. So, but maybe that's part of the process, is that because supporting your club doesn't necessarily bring you happiness. And to be honest, for most teams, most of the time, there's no happiness in being a supporter. You get to win a game occasionally. So that's supporting it. doesn't equal enjoyment? Well, that's the point. Not enough of the time. Yeah. Yeah. At, at the moment, if, we, if we're running this theme of... Uh, talking about a breakup, quite a lot of uh, the breakups happen after a lot of arguing, and there is a lot of arguing uh, in football. And if you cannot, and it's something that we've spoken about, it's kind of a greatest hits episode, isn't it? The, the, the way that we talk about fans enjoying other teams' failures more than they enjoy their own successes, if that is to be the underpinning of all your emotional reactions to your team's performances, not just watching it on television, seeing other teams playing, you cannot surely you cannot turn it around that easily because you are so embedded in this feeling of negativity and desiring other the Schadenfreude of modern football 
that's that's difficult to to rectify, isn't it? Yeah, because if there's too much ri riding on every game, you you can't watch a match, you know without any degree of passion, can you? You're always looking at it from the point of view of, well, we're playing them next week, so I hope their key player gets injured, or you know, they, could, they could catch us in the table, so let's hope they drop points today because you know, we're only six points ahead of them. Every game seems to have something riding on it, or at least that's what we're being sold. And then, even if you take it away from the, the top, so if you have the top six who are locked in this kind of permanent existential crisis where every defeat means that everyone has to be sacked, some people have to be shot, and everyone has to start again, and everyone involved is a the <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure that's one of our non-broadcastable words that might have to be really? be beeped yeah, out. You didn't want to do too much editing. No, okay, I'll stop using it. It's quite a heavy episode. Who's doing the editing of this, by the way? Because this is, this is going to be, this is going to take some work. I think the longest beep I've got on the computer is about nine seconds. I need one about nine minutes. Do you want, <laughs> should, we, should we get some audience wild track that you can use to paint over? But the, so if you take the top six out of it, so the top six, it's not fun being a top six fan, just everything is so sort of at this pitch of frenzy all of the time. Well, wait, wait, is, that, is that a new thing? Or what, 40 years ago or whenever? It, was it the same then for teams that were up at the Don't top know, of the table? you tell us, old yeah. man. We were here. Was it that long ago? <laughs> Seriously. I, it didn't feel like that back then. It didn't feel like, every, like you said, every game is kind of the it's end of the world. because there wasn't it a didn't top feel six. like that. And I never played for a top six team, so that was... A blessing for me. Did Everton not finish the top six? No, 95? don't be silly. Really? No. Just after you left, they did. What was your yeah. highest lead finish? That's a good question. Do you I not think know? It's seventh to go with my yeah. England. It's a, it's a lucky your, number for me. That's your number. That is. Yeah. That is my lucky yeah. number. But yeah. it, it's because there wasn't a top six. There wasn't this closed-off cartel of clubs who were controlling the destiny of pretty much everything that is worth playing for in the English top flight, but also controlling the emotions of a select, well, a, a large majority of the fans because they are the most supported clubs. But they are a group of fans whose entire lives, footballing lives, and too much of their lives is football, uh, revolves, he says, presenting a football podcast, um, revolves around the fortunes of your club compared to those five others. Because generally speaking, apart from Leicester in 2016, you aren't going to have an outlier. And you, you will hear lots of fans saying this season, or oh, wouldn't it be nice if Leicester, even though it's only three years since, wouldn't it be nice if Leicester finished second to Liverpool if you're a Liverpool fan, or to City if you're a City fan, because you don't want Liverpool or City finishing second, you'd much rather they suffer. Back 40 years ago, when football, funnily enough, was also played, there wouldn't have been that sense of that cartel. So surely the kind of hatred was diluted a little bit. So but you wouldn't find it being so uh, affected so much by such a small group of clubs. But also, I, th I think the tr tribalism that we talk about a lot, probably too much, is... Um, I think you can say greatest hits and say, I think you could call it repetitive. The, um, but the, that tribalism wasn't as entrenched. There's, you hear so many stories of people who would go and watch Arsenal one Saturday, Spurs the next, United one Saturday, City the next. You went to see the football. My dad used to go and see Leicester, who he supported, and Forest, because... So is, is the football causing the fans to feel like this, or is it a societal thing where people generally feel like this and they go and watch football as well? So I think partly it's to do with the saturation, that when we were all younger, you would, your team would lose at the weekend and you would face mockery at school or work or wherever for the Monday, maybe the Tuesday, and then by the Wednesday, kind of all the jokes had been done, so you'd, you'd look forward to the next game and the same process happening again. Whereas now you cannot escape a defeat. If your team loses, you, you open your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram, it's full of everyone taking the <laughs> out of you, basically. Sorry, another beep. Does, do we beep? I don't know. We, we beep. Say, say it again just to check. Yes, now we beep it twice. Yeah, good. Uh, the... 
There's three. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you get to seven chinch so you can make a joke? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you should have given us a list beforehand. But then, to take it away from the top six, you have 14 teams in the Premier League who some people get pleasure from avo avoiding relegation. Maybe that's it. Maybe if you get less regular pleasure, the pleasure is heightened. Then in the Championship, everyone's nuts and going for promotion. If you don't get promoted, it could mean the end of your club. All the players change every year, two years, so you can't build a bond with anybody. Leeds, no, no idea who's in Leeds' team at any point. They all, they're all there for like three months and they sign for Swansea or Reading and then they go back to Leeds for a bit and it's impossible to keep track of You're it. You're just describing Pablo Hernandez. Yeah, <laughs> I love Pablo Hernandez. And then Lead 1 and Lead 2, it's a con constant sort of existential dread that you're going to go out of business and you see Berry happen, you think, well, that could happen to us. So I'm not sure how much joy there is for anybody. So it doesn't matter what league you play in, there's always some kind of external pressure on you yeah. as, a, as a fan. Misery is the natural state of the fan. And they talk about the money filtering down, but maybe it's the anxiety that filters yeah. down because there's so much exposure of the importance of every single Premier League game that that then heightens the necessity to win in the championship to get promotion, which is why owners end up throwing loads of money uh, trying to solve the problem of, of getting their club up. And, and then, again, further down, all, all of these people are dreaming about you know, getting the golden ticket, aren't they? So th you cannot simply enjoy a game for, for, what it's, for what it is. And then, as well as the anxiety about the possibility of losing, an awful lot of the time, it, it's not just, you know, you, there used to be a time where it would be acceptable to lose to one of the big sides. But now you go into those games, those games against the top six, hoping that your team doesn't get absolutely smashed. Because that could have a bigger consequence on your season than dropping points elsewhere you know it could come down to goal difference so you're praying when you go to to manchester city or liverpool that you only lose three or four nil the the fear of failure leads to only relief or the fear of abuse that you might get from opposing fans leads to only relief it doesn't lead to unequivocated joy it doesn't it doesn't there is never it seems uh, an emotional reaction after a game particularly if you're a, a fan of a top six club where you think well i enjoyed that that was really good fun and uh, hurrah no it's oh thank god should we not do some audience participation people who support if you think about it how much of your week is spent actually enjoying football rather than experiencing relief or dread or anxiety or thinking about what's, what, what could go wrong. And that enjoyment isn't derived from your team's rivals losing yeah. to somebody. Pure joy. Pure joy. Pure unadulterated joy. joy. So there must be a team, a team that you could go and just watch and really enjoy that don't really have any rivals. There's got to be a team out there that doesn't have any financial problems, isn't really worried about relegation, isn't really bothered about getting promoted. We must be able to find a side that we could all just go and watch and really enjoy. The looks on your faces tell me, think, no, the, there isn't. What's the least objectionable team? Yes, there? that's it. That's it. Least objectionable United. That's who we need to find. Yeah, uh, but that, that might only be a short-term thing. They Look might at you, the pessimist again. Can't we just enjoy it, Steve? Just go and watch a few Their games. Their status might change quickly, Jim. Oh, God. It could do, but just, just pretend that it won't. But you don't... It's, well, is, do you enjoy football that you're not in some way invested in as much as you enjoy football that you are invested in? So you have to be invested in it too. So you need a degree of investment. You could, you could watch the MLS Cup final, which is not called the MLS Cup final, it's just called the MLS Cup, which is one of many mistakes <laughs> MLS are making that you're not making. You didn't fall into that trap, did no, you? It's, it's the final of the tournament. It's the MLS Cup final. It's not called, we've yeah. won... They, they drop the the. They say, we've won MLS Cup. 
That's not, that's not even a dramatical sentence. Yeah, but when I basically won the cup for Everton, the FA Cup, in yeah. 1995, virtually single-handedly, well, I didn't say, oh, we've just won the FA Cup final. We just we, said we've yeah, won the FA, FA Cup. FA Cup. So it works. But the game is known as the FA Cup final. The Hinchcliffe final. The Hinchcliffe yeah. final. <laughs> it was once, but only once. Even so though I didn't score and couldn't feel my lower leg because Doc Irving had put a needle into my Achilles tendon and actually deadened the whole of my left side, which was quite important to me because I couldn't kick with my right foot. But anyway... Um, Thanks, Doc. What would have made that five-all draw between Liverpool and Arsenal more like what we're searching for? No, so the problem with that was that it, it, was, fun, it was obviously a fun game. It was fun to watch, but it just there's that cynical side of you that said, that's thinking this is, not, this is not what football should look like. My, my enjoyment of something that is clearly good and is enjoyable, my enjoyment is limited of it because I have been conditioned to think this is silly. Would it have been more fun if it was um, in a cup final? It meant something? No, it would be worse. Imagine if you get a big game, like a, really, like a Champions League final, or a, not, not, not an FA Cup final, no one cares anymore, but the, or a Premier League title decider, and it ends Ladies. five all, and you're, you're just watching it thinking, well, these are both clowns. What's going, that, that would be terrible. It was all right. It was only passable and not some sort of disastrous blow for English football because it was Liverpool's kids against Arsenal's kids. What the game would not have survived a major important game ending five all. What what did your nephews pay for their tickets? Well obviously they didn't pay for them themselves, but how much were their tickets? So no, they're quite well off my nephews. The, um, <laughs> the yeah, they spend all of their pocket I mean one assumes it was I assume it was cheaper than going to a Liverpool Arsenal game in the Premier League. I think they didn't drive themselves. I don't know how they got there. Uh, the uh, I think there was a tenner for the tickets. Because yeah, because City City's game in the EFL Cup that week was a 10, or 10, 15 quid a ticket, I think, and in United's against Rochdale uh, a few weeks ago. That was cheap as well. So maybe that could be a contributing factor. Was there more enjoyment around the stadium because that cost-to-enjoyment ratio was, yeah. was different to usual? Maybe there were diff- you know, fans who wouldn't normally get a chance to go had the opportunity. So that perhaps contributed to the, the more carefree approach to the game. So maybe it wasn't just about the players that were selected to play in that game. Those in the stands were... There was less narrative, there was less history less of disappointment yeah. or tension from, from the stands. So that helped everybody feel a little bit more relaxed. And Did you mention that to your nephews when they skipped out of the house to remember the cost-to-enjoyment ratio? <laughs> <laughs> or... Did you say, just go and enjoy the game? And, and yeah, yeah they say, I did say, look, your cost-to-enjoyment ratio here is, is bang on. You are, you are <laughs> going to enjoy this whatever happens. You, you're paying a pound per goal. That yeah, is that's excellent that's cost-to-enjoyment ratio. good investment. But there, is, there, is there not a sense of cynicism because of who we all are and how much the saturation of football in our lives is the levels of the, that, that saturation? We watch a lot of football, so we are, we are more cynical. I watch a lot of Postman Pat. I don't watch a lot of... Them. <laughs> Well, you're probably cynical about Postman Pat. Today. Could we have done 27 minutes, roughly speaking, about Postman Pat? And oh, well, I, that's enjoyment I could, I could do an hour solo on Postman Pat. <laughs> How much equipment does that one man need for deliveries that are always late? <laughs> does he have he's a helicopter his, now? He's got, his heli- got a helicopter. helicopter. What does he need a helicopter That's a special delivery service. Is yeah. it? That's like Postman Pat squared. It's like an upgrade. Is it? But he still does his normal round. As well. Yeah. Quite often, the episodes start with him delivering something to, to Ajay, who, by the way, is a racist trope. <laughs> that, that, although he's not as bad as Michael, the Chinese guy, that is, that is appalling that Michael's on TV. That he, he'll deliver something to Ajay. So this, today it was a duck whistle. 
And then he gets the troll this from... bang up-to-date information. He gets a troll from Ben, his supervisor, who is stalking him. Pat stops for petrol, and Ben calls him. Pat, what you do? It's like working for Amazon. <laughs> See, I know, I've, I've, genuinely, I have thoughts on Pat. We, we may not want to disappear down this rabbit hole. It uh, might be bad. I think we're, we're, we're at least waist deep in it currently. Um, so my, my question, if you remember, before no. Postman Pat, was that we, we are more likely to be cynical because of the positions that we hold in yes. the football media. Yeah, it's, it, it's like, for example, enjoyment, enjoyment ratio, or, or, or everybody else's, everybody else, he says disparagingly, um, the audience's enjoyment of a game of football which has less meaning like the Carabao Cup or has new fans, that will often be reflected by a Mexican wave after 20 minutes. If I see a Mexican wave, that ruins my whole night. Americans find it, I, I don't want to be offensive either to Jeff or to Andy, who is quite important in my continued employment. <laughs> Ameri Americans, uh, during the World Cup, I would always say there'd been a Mexican wave after seven minutes, all these people should be taken out of the stadium and removed immediately, <laughs> which in Russia was a genu genuine possibility. <laughs> and the Americans don't like you calling it a Mexican wave. I don't think they understand that it comes from Mexico. <laughs> I think they think it's just a wave. Were they not, were they not watching in 1986? It was 1970. Was it 1970 first? It was 1970. Does the Chinch? Mexicans Why are you looking at me? I was a year old. <laughs> <laughs> it was older than all the rest, the rest of us. You had a better chance. So that's when the Mexican wave it, first... We, we call it a Mexican wave because we first saw it in one of the Mexico World Cups. Okay. Someone here might have the answer. I don't know. Okay. Uh, either 1970 or 1986. Americans, I believe, do not call it a Mexican wave because they've been doing it since 1492 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... Well, there we go, yeah. we've arrived. But is the, so um, I am a cynic about other people's enjoyment because they are doing a Mexican well, wave. A Mexican and it's wave. like, stop doing a Mexican wave, watch the damn football. Or watch the damn anything that they're doing a Mexican wave. If you're doing a Mexican so wave, you're not watching it properly. So they, they, but they are enjoying themselves. They are professing their enjoyment of the game. They're not I enjoying the football, that. though. They're enjoying being part of a crowd. But they are having non-intense... Go, go to a riot for that. <laughs> <laughs> Get yourself to Hong Kong. That would be a great way to settle a riot situation. Right. You lot over there, we're going, best Mexican wave, settles it. <laughs> or, or as we call it over here, an American riot. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> if, if you can do a good Mexican wave, we won't kettle you. Yeah, that, that would work, actually, yeah. A little bit of choreography, and then we'll see what the police response will be. If it's, if it's bad, then it's brutal. Other people, the other people enjoy it in a way that we can't because we are grumpy and cynical. I mean, everyone hates Mexican waves, don't they? Okay, we'll take the Mexican wave example. Thank God, take that away. But there is, there is, there are other expressions of joy that those who have paid a ticket, paid for a ticket, and in, are enjoying the football to a level that we perhaps cannot understand because of the role that we play in society and what a role and important one it is. I think you're, you're right. Journalists are dreadful people, and people in the media are awful. Everyone knows that. Thank you. And because we're overexposed and we think about it too much, we're likely to be more cynical. But I do think it applies to quite a lot of fans that. And I say that as someone who was a fan for before I was a fan before I was a journalist. That it's it's quite hard enjoying football now. It's hard to enjoy football. It's very it's a very stressful experience. But people seem to keep on coming back to it. It can't just be our fault though. It doesn't just filter down from journalists to supporters. It it comes the other way with the accusations of bias and suggestions that we're fairer to one team than than another. So. You can't just blame those who are paid to watch the game. And if you look at the kind of the fan, the organic fan media that's now become such a bit in things like the Anfield Rap and Arsenal Fan TV, Anfield Rap's a bit better, but Arsenal Fan TV, then the timber of that is negative. That thrives when Arsenal do badly. Just people want to see people shouting, incoherent. It's cathartic. The only place you will find more non sequiturs than Arsenal Fan TV is in a Lee Child novel. That is a proven fact <laughs> that. 
some of the dialogue. The we're we're going to prove that later. Yeah, we really are. Not some of the dialogue, all of the dialogue. <laughs> um, hang on, so hang on, you've got a, a section of fans there that should love every match day. Surely Arsenal fans or those who work for Arsenal Fan TV can skip to the Emirates knowing that they'll be satisfied either way. They'll either see their team win or they'll great. lose and they get great content. And everyone loves great content. That's what's important. Content comes first. Uh, talking of which, let's do a quiz. Okay. Um, now, after a little Googling, um, I found a quiz entitled, Do You Still Love Him? Uh, this was, I think, not necessarily aimed at us. We are not the target audience. So I've altered it slightly for uh, the three gentlemen's purposes up here on stage. So imagine, if you will, that this has been created for a 15, 16-year-old girl in a magazine who is being uh, asked these series of questions. At the end of it, it will, be, it will determine, the magazine will determine for you whether you should be uh, sticking with um, your bow. So here we go. Are you ready? These are questions that we need a simple answer from. Rory, uh, from Stephen, and from Andy. Ferris, uh, Ferris, by the way, very obviously someone who took these kids, as, these quizzes as a teenager. Yeah. I very obviously. Uh, I, I Googled them had a, I, on, I Googled a, on a them. quick link. I, <laughs> I, I, Poor had them, I had them somewhere and have since I was 16. <laughs> the, the, uh, you will notice that the language has changed slightly so that I can make it relevant for our uh, esteemed panel. Do you still check your phone hoping to see breaking football news? Yes. Yes, do you yes. do still that? Oh, yes. Uh, no. No, because you never did in the first place. You never had a relationship with football in the first place to wonder whether you should I have a very strong relationship with football. It pays me. Uh, do you... Do you... That, that's not necessarily one that we should uh, refer back to the 16-year-old girl. Uh, do you catch yourself... Um, A slightly ugly way of getting to question number two. Uh, do you catch yourself constantly talking about football? When not talking about Postman Pat. Okay. Yeah. But at least once a week. <laughs> you, st you, you still do it, Chin? Constantly about football. Do you find yourself constantly talking about football? Have a guess. No. Is it because no. it no. pays you? Is it because you're no. talking more about your squats and your lats? And, and the delts. And the delts. <laughs> Don't forget the delts. Do you still dream or fantasise about being a footballer? No. No, that ship sailed. Been there, got the T-shirt. <laughs> the England shirt, <laughs> seven times. <laughs> not, so, not sure We've Super Dry made England, England shirts, yeah. Actually, I was disappointed with my England cap. I didn't get seven individual caps. You know, because you're playing qualifying campaigns, like for the World Cup and the European Championship. They just put all in one cap. It's a bit disappointing. No, so we only got three. I've got a photo of Ed with one of your caps on. Yes. And it says England versus Bulgaria. Yes. So it must have been a specific game. Yeah, but there would have been other club uh, teams on there as well. Oh, is that right? That, that was because that was the only game he played during that qualifying campaign. Ah, does he... Other games the would have been Listen, stitched that was a further around the camp. Classic nil-nil. I came off after 13 minutes with an injured groin again. <laughs> the next question is, do you ever find yourself asking people about football? Yes, because that's where I get my knowledge from, which is true. It is true. I ask you a lot about football, That's don't I? Yeah. I? I do, because I don't... What's I understand happened? a hell of a lot. What colour did QPR play in? No, in Brentford. <laughs> what does QPR and Brentford, very hard to kind of understand which team is which, so... Do you constantly check social media for football? I don't do social media. No, you don't, famously. Mm. Yes, it you is do? quite a useful source of information. All of my social media is just a list of things that The Athletic have written re recently. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is impossible to find anything else. Is the thought of finding another sport terrifying or unappealing? As someone who's seen live rugby union, yes. <laughs> no, no, embrace other sports, of course. 
Even the terrible ones, like Rugby Union. Yeah, because... Why is Rugby Union terrible? Oh, the endless kicking, the awful people, the fans. The awful people. Yeah. That's a wild generalisation. Who, who are the awful people? The players? The Everyone involved. Everybody involved in Rugby Union. <laughs> you need to watch other sports so that you can remind yourself that football is the best sport. Look, that World Cup final, that, that could have been, thank God the South Africans won. Can you imagine, not only Eng English people are terrible winners, and then rugby fans are awful, the worst of the English. Can you imagine them winning something? Yes, but a lot of the, a lot of the, pe a lot of the people watching that final were reminded as they were doing so that they hate rugby. Yeah. So they, you know, there would have only there would have been a small percentage of those people celebrating. Did it you watch the final? No. <laughs> I followed the final by listening to the noises coming out of one of West Didsbury's worst pubs. <laughs> worst pubs. Yeah. Which I is so I take Ed to football on Saturday morning. Yeah. And take him to rugby. He'd enjoy we, it. Then we don't. No, he, he cannot follow instructions. They. They have a coach who's amazing, but she has to get loads of toddlers to do activities that they don't understand and don't want to do. It is the worst job in the world. Is it the high press? He doesn't understand. Full of admiration. <laughs> he will not counterpress. Send him to me. He will not counterpress. He, he only wants to stay in his low block. Because you always get caught ball watching as well. Yeah. Kids of that age, yeah. they're notorious for it. Go zonal when he should go man to man. What is he oh. thinking about? The, the final question of this quiz, which feels like it started a long time ago, and it could well change the answer about whether you should or should not break up with football, is do you feel lonely without football? I'm worried I don't have a personality without football. <laughs> or a job. Yeah, I would struggle to put food on the table. The, the kids would be hungry without football. So you'd be lonely because you'd be cast out of the house? Yeah, yeah. I, I would effectively be, be even more useless than I am now. You clearly three enjoy football more than I do. I still enjoy it to a degree, but I only miss it because I enjoy working on football, in brackets. So it's the working I miss, not the actual game. If I wasn't working, when I retire in, because I'm 50 now, clearly I'm going to be around for a, a, another 30 years because of, of how good I am. So when I retire at 80, I don't feel I'll go and watch or pay to watch football. I pay to watch rugby. Do you enjoy working on football as much as you enjoy being a landscape gardener? Uh, I enjoyed assisting a tree surgeon. Landscape gardening is hard work. It's back-breaking work. You yeah. wouldn't be cut out for it. You haven't got the hands. I did hands. it for a summer. You've got I was a landscape yeah. gardener for a summer. For a summer? My boss was a drunk. He never turned up, still got paid. It was the best job I've ever had. Sorry, Andy. But it's hard work, isn't it? You're not cut out for really it. Hard it work, lasted yeah. a summer. Yeah, but a Yorkshire summer. So it was only two or three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have uh, been able to, via the, uh, the helpful algorithm given to me by a, uh, a teenage-based magazine from the 1980s, late 1980s, uh, come up with the answer, um, uh, given what you have told me. Uh, and the answer is uh, that the relationship between you and football is that you are still in love. I know it's hard letting someone you truly love go. If you both still love each other and you feel you can trust him, football, then why not start again? So is there a chance for us to turn over a new leaf How do I and find joy once again? How do I start again? What, what, what's going to turn the corner for me? How am I going to find the love in football? I think, I think that, yeah, without being twee, you, we probably could kind of counteract our, condi our conditioning a little bit. We could try and be a bit more... We could, we could allow ourselves to enjoy the silly bits a bit more. And, you, yeah, not to take it... I've, tried, I've made a con genuinely made a conscious effort with goals now not to look for whose fault it is. Sometimes goals get scored. It doesn't always have to be someone's fault. It's always someone's fault. That's your attitude change. No, 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 no. It's always someone's fault. Goals don't just get scored. Let's just leave it at that, shall we? <laughs> Uh, thank you, Chinch. I was desperately trying to find a way out, and you've you, just given me one. You did spend a lot of your career proving that goals don't get scored. 
We're not talking about me, though, are we? <laughs> it is now time, ladies and gentlemen, for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy Hinchcliffe tells the tale of Miss Play Days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. It's, again, not about my play. I've actually been retired now longer than I, I played. Hard to believe, yes. So I played for 17, 18 years. I've been retired... Seven, 18 years now. So again, more of my... They're clearly, I can't... How many of these stories do you expect me to keep... My, my career wasn't that interesting. You know, players only pulled their pants down a certain number of times during the course of 17 years. So clearly a lot of my stories are going to be from working in the media quite brilliantly as I do now. <laughs> and this was... And this is... <laughs> You might be more modest in front of an audience. No, 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 no. no. It's going to go the, the, the way lighting thing. suits him. Don't worry. I've probably fearless. commentated on maybe six hundred games now, which is the amount that you played. Is that right? No, I played about four hundred. Oh, yeah, I lost about five because of the injuries. Football's lost, but uh, so I've done about <laughs> six hundred games now. Probably the public is split into two camps. It's five hundred and ninety-nine games too many, or Trinch stay around for another six hundred games because you're brilliant. But I, I very rarely now get nervous when I pick up a, a microphone. When I started, I was very nervous. If you think about the audience that you, you could be broadcasting to, you work for Sky, it could be tens of people. If you work <laughs> Bournemouth, Watford, it's going to be on one hand, isn't it? But you still get five people can make you nervous. So if you're working for the World Feed, which obviously when we, we do certain games, England games, these, these kind of broadcasts are going around the world. You could be talking millions of people could be tuning in and hanging on your every word about how... Defenders have made mistakes and how goals are scored. Um, so it can be quite nerve-wracking. So I can, you have to work out a method of, of kind of, as you pick that microphone up, think of a, a person, one person that you're broadcasting to. So I think of a little old lady, you know, Mrs. Roberts in Rochdale. She doesn't know anything about football. That's why she's watching the game I'm commentating on. So <laughs> I just focus on that one person. Because that makes it a lot easier. Everything you're saying, how you're trying to explain yourself, make it understandable to Mrs. Roberts of Rochdale. But there was a game, the last game I did was on Super Sunday. It was super because of the Man City-Liverpool game. Not so super because Wolves were playing Aston Villa. That's the game I was doing. It was the kind of the hors d'oeuvre to the big game. But it was the, the studio that they had set up for the, for the big game, which was coming at 4.30, Liverpool-Man City. So they had Roy Keane, Graeme Souness... Jose Mourinho and Vincent Company. That's quite a collection of luminaries, isn't it? They're quite scary, quite scary people, aren't they? In many ways, they don't really crack a smile. A lot of them, Vincent but they're Company's quite. They're quite. The what, sorry? Vincent Company's not scary. He's a nice man, is he? Yeah. Anyway, I, they've had great careers, better careers than than I've had, I think. I got more caps than Jose Mourinho. He didn't. He didn't play at all, did he? So anyway, he probably. But he was the one I was most nervous about because when I when I was doing the game. All I could see was Jose Mourinho's grey-haired head in my head, thinking everything I'm saying, I guarantee you he's back in the studio, because they're watching the early game before, before doing the studio for the second game. And I couldn't get his head out of my head. And it's quite off-putting, because I was talking a lot about the Portuguese players, João Moutinho and Ruben Neves, and I'm thinking, oh my God, everything I'm saying, you just imagine Jose Mourinho back in the studio going, what is he talking about? But it got, that's the first time in probably 200 games where I've actually worried about an individual listening to what I'm saying. And it actually did affect me. I was still brilliant, but it probably was, wasn't quite as good as I, I normally would be. And it's because of that collection of people in that studio, presumably watching the game that I was doing, when they might be sitting at home watching that game. So why it affected me so much, I don't know. But it did, but the professional in me kicked in. And again, I absolutely nailed it. But it was, uh, if I saw Joe say, I would probably have a, a little word with him just to say, you know, can you just 
smile occasionally and make me think that you're actually enjoying what you're doing. Because at times he doesn't seem as though he is. No, that's true. Mm. I wish you'd brought this to us before the game. What would you Well, bec- there are a couple of high-powered television sport executives in the audience tonight. Yeah, yeah. And I've got some bad news for you. What's that? Do you know how much attention they were paying to you during the commentary in the studio? A lot. The sound gets turned. No, 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 it doesn't. Jose did not hear a single word Listen, that passed. The sound might get turned. The Harry Bowls will come in, clearly, because that's on his rider. The Harry (laughs) Bowls will be there in abundance. But they they surely must listen to what I'm saying. They have to be. They don't listen to any of it, none of it. I heard that Jose specifically requested that you be turned down. Seriously? Why would he do that? You and Rob Hawthorne are inconsequential to their involvement in the game. Thanks, Steve. I just thought it will help for next time. Next next time, Jose's on. Don't worry about it. He's not paying attention. So what do I just... What what, what do I do? How do I get past this? What you need to do is think that that, that Roy Keane, Graham Sinness, Jose Mourinho, Vincent Company, four Premier League legends are sat in the same studio. Naked! Wherever they might be. No. Not one of them and anyone who watched Super Sunday will know this, able to sit in an approach, in a manner that a human would consider normal. Mm. Like generally none of them, genuinely none of them knew what to do with their hands, where to put their legs. Two of them were splayed. Why would you sit? Splayed? You don't on TV, sitting in a, do not, don't sit like legs akimbo. That's obvious. Like a spatchcock chicken? Like a spatchcock chicken. Seriously, who was this? Who, Who was splayed? Mourinho had a kind of, that low slouch that he does, but with this kind of, I can't really do it with the mic, but this weird V shape of his legs. Proper legs akimbo stuff, and I think Sunus has a ha- has a habit of kind of doing the man the man spread mm. thing. Wasn't Jesse just relaxing into my commentary? You feel no. No, as Steve has established, he wasn't listening to it. Wasn't <laughs> His earpiece was out, and he was tucking into a tube of. Prince. To be honest, he probably wasn't even watching the game. That's depressing. Yeah. So Chinch, you need to replace Mrs. Roberts of Rochdale with a splayed Jose. Yeah. Ooh, it's <laughs> a lovely thought, isn't it? Can I put uh, butter on him? Uh, you cannot. <laughs> You cannot. Um, for the audience here and indeed the audience at home, I did mention uh, that it is something approaching a normal episode. So you'll forgive us, those of you in the room, as we say, please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Rory, to Andy, to Stephen and to you for being here, to everyone for listening. We'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Um, and for you guys, uh, in about 20 minutes, you will have another set-piece menu. So that's something... Uh, we, we will have an, uh, a little interval here. I think so, yeah. We'll have a little interval. Um, make yourselves very comfortable either here or outside in the bar. Um, we may well have some alcoholic drinks on the, the uh, table for the I second half. Be. So this our levels of professionalism will get absolutely nosedive in the second half. This is Hollyoaks after dark, isn't it? This is Hollyoaks Holly after we dark. We're doing the Reacher thing, aren't we? We're doing the Reacher oh, thing. Brilliant. We'll have a Q&A. If you do have any questions that you have in mind, uh, just formulate them beautifully and succinctly and don't hope that we're going to be able to answer any of them. Um, we will have a, a Q&A in the second half and we'll try and have a little bit of fun with it as well. And yes, Chinch after dark is coming up after this short break. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs> 